The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. You're tuned into the all new Freedom 106.5. 106.5. Welcome back, TNT. I think we've sorted out. And we're live with attorney at law, Ms. Havrita Ramharak. And we are here to discuss the fine line between abuse and punishment on children. So let's go straight to her. Good after, Well, good morning to you, Ms. Ramharak. <laughs> good morning. Hi, good morning to you and good morning to all of your listeners. And just briefly tell us, why did you get into law and what was the process and why did you choose um, this particular vein of law? Oh, no. When I was probably about 10 or 11 years old, my mother, who's an avid reader, introduced me to John Grisham. And anybody who loves reading knows who John John Grisham is. Yes. And my first John Grisham book instilled in me this motivation that I had to do nothing but study law and life. And if law didn't pan out, then I had to be an author like John Grisham. Mm-hmm. Well, no happens. I'm not an author. I'm a lawyer. So that was my motivation for law. And somewhere along the lines in practicing law, uh, there are few areas of law that I truly like and I devote some attention to. Um, medical law, I think, is probably my first passion. But I do like children law uh, because children are our most vulnerable members of society. And someone needs to step up and someone needs to protect them. And as a mother, I think it's important when we're doing anything related to children to consider that in the eyes of the law, and to me, a parent's view should always be that the welfare of the child is of paramount importance. Mm-hmm. And just coming out of the situation over the weekend with the um, violence that happened in KFC Gasparillo, you see that this is a a need. It's no longer a want. It's a a desperate need to stand for children. And considering the welfare of the child should be at the forefront of all of the decisions. So I wanted to briefly talk about the Domestic Violence Act, Chapter 4556. Can you explain to us what this means and what it entails? So, on Domestic Violence Act, it's been drafted in such a way that it is not only for the protection of adults. Uh, Usually, people think domestic violence means women, and it's not only about women. Domestic violence is to protect anyone who is the victim of abuse, whether it is in the home, by people we love, by people we are related to. In fact, it was amended a short while ago to include a larger group because usually it would have been simply by spouse or parents to that effect. But now it has extended to protect people who are in common law relationships, people who have a child in common, that sort of thing. Now, with children... Obviously, a six-year-old can't run to court and say, I'm being abused. I need Mm -hmm. to be protected. So the act is drafted in such a way that the guardian of the child, the parent of the child, because sometimes our guardians are not necessarily our parents, or next of kin, meaning somebody who is directly connected or related to a child who is aware that the child is being abused, can can make an application on the Domestic Violence Act to secure protection from that child. Whether protection means that the child is to be removed from the environment 
or that there are certain orders being enforced that a particular person needs to stay a certain distance away from the child or refrain from speaking to a child in a particular matter or conducting themselves in a certain way. So the act is drafted to protect our children as well. But the Domestic Violence Act is not the only one that extends protection to our children. We also have the Children's Act. And the Children's Act also prevents cruelty against children. Problem being, the cruelty and the abuse, it's not properly defined in any of our legislation. The Children's Act also says that children should not be willfully assaulted or ill-treated, neglected or abandoned. So there is protection under the Children's Act as well. And in the case of divorce proceedings where you find that there may have been acts of domestic violence, how is it applied because um, from the, the title, we understand that there's a very thin line between disciplining a child and the abuse of a child. How does that apply in that setting? Great. So if there are family court proceedings and it comes up that there is some form of abuse, then it's at the court's discretion. It's not necessarily court's discretion per se, but the court will investigate. The court will take any accusation or any evidence of abuse, especially to children, very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, we have probation officers. Uh, probation officers will be assigned to do the investigations. Investigations will not be isolated only to speaking to parents, but they may very well see it fit to interview the school, teachers, principals, anybody who would be aware, the neighbors if necessary. They would conduct their own investigations and report to the court. Obviously, if the abuse is serious abuse that has warranted police intervention or reports being made, all of those things would be considered. It's rare that I shouldn't say overly rare, but it's not usual that in divorce proceedings there's that extent of abuse, and that is the problem. Mm. Divorce proceedings come with very bitter custody battles. And the concern is during custody battles, one parent who wants to have an advantage, because when we go to court to fight for children, everybody wants their children to live with them. Mm -hmm. And one parent may see it as an advantage to say, look, my children should live with me because they're abused by the mother or they're being abused by the father. And those children are not necessarily being abused. And that results in a court system being bombarded with applications that are not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are true and the ones that need immediate attention, we're joining a line and we're standing and queue waiting for a chain because there are other people who just want to abuse a court system. Mm -hmm. And in an effort to prolong the proceeding and cause pain and suffering to the other party. Definitely so. But I think what some parents don't realize is you're not only causing pain and suffering to the other party, you're causing pain and suffering to your child as well. And then you are also abusing because then that's a form of emotional or psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. Imagine you have a child and parents do this beautiful little thing called prepping children for the court. And they will sit there and they will convince this child do you remember so and so day when mommy spank you or mommy hit you for homework? You know, mommy shouldn't have hit you like that. Mm -hmm. Or do you remember when daddy pulled his belt and threatened you and you got frightened? You know, daddy shouldn't talk to you like that. And they'll properly 
proper children that what under different situations would have been seen as some form of discipline, they would prep the children that that is actually abuse. And these children now are sitting there questioning, well, I wonder if mommy loves me, or I wonder if daddy loves me, or why are they abusing me? My friends don't go through this, and they're so ashamed to tell them friend, their friends, well, I'm being abused, because now they think what we would view as general punishment or discipline is abuse. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting there wondering whether they're loved at home, whether something is wrong with them, whether they need to adjust their behavior and do everything their parent is telling them so that they would be a better child. And it's caused that child. And sometimes a child is so prepped that a judge now has to sit there because judges do have the power to speak to children. Mm-hmm. And they will be speaking to these, child, these children. And a judge now has to have to ascertain how much of this is a child's words. And, and how much that was coached. Yeah, how much am I hearing a child that's been coached? Mm-hmm. The good thing is we do have trained family judges and trained and experienced family judges. And most times they are able to get it right. They are able to determine after speaking to children and they do not speak to children necessarily with the parents present. They will do that with other officers of the court present. So your child does not have to be afraid. Mommy and daddy is listening to me. Mm-hmm. And by the time they get the probation officer's report and they have spoken to the child and they've heard other, other relatives come forward, they will make their decision as to whether this child is truly a child of abuse or not. But by then, you've been, you've had this child in the middle of a custody battle for two or three years. This child has had to bear their heart and soul to so many people. child is already scarred. Yes. So if the child had walked into the system without being a child of abuse, the child certainly leaves the system being a child of abuse. Because that mental process, they are not at the age to understand, well, uh, why am I going through this? What can I say? What can I not say? Am I saying the right thing? Just that process alone is taxing on the child. So this exactly. leads me to ask the question, what tools are available to probation officers who are investigating such um, instances and what can the general public learn from this so that if they are going through such a situation they can be um, better prepared or I don't want to use the word should I use the word accommodating is that a good word to use to let the probation officers do their their job I do think I don't think better prepared or accommodating is any of the words we need. Mm-hmm. I think what we need, and it's something that we most people are strangers to, is being a little bit more truthful in situations like this. And usually the ones that you get the truth from would be your educators, mm-hmm. teachers, principals who know your children. They can tell something is wrong. They can sit in a classroom while teaching and give them a little while. They usually pick up. And if a teacher or principal tells a probation officer, I have noticed a change, or there's a way the child reacts, or there's certain things the child see, you better believe they've paid attention and they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Parents are not necessarily as truthful in situations because parents are trying to score their points, even if scoring their points is at the mercy of their child. Even grandparents sometimes, unfortunately, custody battle means if the mother is fighting, the mother's parents are backing her up. If the father is fighting, the father's parents are backing him up. So even grandparents do not necessarily sit there and think 
you know what, I have to say what is true because I need to protect my grandchild. It's more about I love my child and my child cannot be apart from his or her own children. So I will have to say what is required of me in this situation. Mm-hmm. Probation officers, though, they do get a lot of training and they are able to assess the situation. And they have been put in those positions so many times that most times they are able to tell that stories, they contradicting each other, or I'm speaking to a child, but I'm seeing a child watching Kotai to see if mommy or daddy is listening, Mm -hmm. that I'm seeing certain movements from the child. So I know this child has been properly coached up, and they will be able to go from there. Because most times when there really are signs of abuse, Sometimes you can tell. There would be instances before. There will be pictures of marks on your child's body. There will be certain ways the child responds to the adult whose care they're in. There would have been police reports over time. You would hear neighbors saying, boy, I see that man in the yard with the child, and I would have never do my child that. You get stories coming out. But when you go and you conduct an interview, and you know there's a divorce going on, and there's a bitter custody battle. And it's the first time ever you have heard this word abuse come up. Mm-hmm. You have to wonder how much is the truth and how much is we trying to score points in court. And from trying, I guess, spending that time to figure out what is true and what is coerced or, or coached for the court, many of the real victims, uh, they lack justice. They, I guess, fall through the cracks. Is there a... a uh, movement or, or a system that is being put in place so that as many as possible uh, receive justice? How How is that uh, process going? Well, one of the first steps we made in the right direction is having the creation of the Children's Court. At least we can say that our country recognized at some point that we need to have systems and fees to take care of our children. And children's court, they do not necessarily only deal with children who have been accused of any sort of criminal act. They do deal with some of the applications concerning abuse of children and all of that. Aside from that, we have the children's authority. And the good thing about the children's authority is that anybody who has witnessed abuse towards a child, whether it's a neighbor, somebody in the area, a school counselor, somebody who's had conversation and seen something to be worried about, they can call the Children's Authority and the Children's Authority will investigate. Mm -hmm. The pressing concern would be that we have recognized there's a need, we are creating legislation, we have established the Children's Authority, we have the court, but do we really have it fully equipped to deal with all of the cases that may be coming forward. So we've heard so many times about there being short staff, needing more officers, needing more experienced people. And perhaps what we need to do is spend some of our resources in showing that we have sufficient personnel and our personnel are constantly being trained so that they can be on the top of their game on what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And how strained is it at this present time? Because uh, you're talking about uh, making sure that there are officers and, and personnel available to handle the workload. What What is it like at this point in time? I would not be able to give statistics for children authority and all of that. What I can say, though, is magistrates are certainly overworked. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of DV applications, domestic violence applications, are heard by magistrates. We now have masters sitting in the high court, in the family court, who can hear domestic violence applications. Sometimes you would sit in court and you would see one known magistrate with almost three quarter day simply doing domestic violence applications. And then there are applications that would come before the court and the magistrate would call this application two or three times and the person who's made the application has failed to appear. So mm-hmm. they made an application. They have no true intention of following through. The application may just have been to threaten the person on the other side. And don't realize that when you do that, it's docketed before a sitting magistrate. They've already scheduled out to take whether it's five or ten minutes of their time. You haven't showed up. The magistrate has to do their due diligence, which is call it, probably wait a couple of minutes again and call it a few times before they could say, okay, there may be no interest, let's dismiss that. And in the meantime, a pressing application that needs to be heard has lost that day, lost that time slot, and been pushed a later day because somebody just felt like making an application that had no basis. Mm-hmm. And I, I briefly wanted to ask you to just clarify the difference between a magistrate and a master of the court. Because within recent times, I've, I've been hearing the term master of the court. Can you explain the difference? So the master of the court, masters usually sit at the high court, and it's a court of higher judicature, as we say. So a magistrate is, um, master, sorry, is higher than the magistrate, and they have certain powers that a magistrate may not have. So a magistrate is allowed to make certain decisions, may uh, give certain judgments, but they cannot make certain declarations in law, whereas a master is better equipped to make those declarations. In magistrate court as well, uh, because parties are allowed to represent themselves, the formality may be lacking with respect to paperwork. Not many people can file their own witness statements or bring forward all of the evidence the way an attorney will present to you. With masters, there's some more formality where there is the ability to generate more evidence than paperwork and have documents before the masters so that they're not necessarily operating in the blind or have people coming on the day to say this is what's happening or that is what's happening. They do get a certain amount of documentation that can take their matters further. And, well, unfortunately, finally, to to bring the incident over the weekend, how would the court approach a situation like that with this young child who was obviously left on, uh, in a very difficult situation, um, what would be the process to make sure that that child is safe and uh, proper care taken? Well, this would be the difficulty. The court on its own cannot do anything unless an application has been made. So it would really be for the children's authority to have their own investigations and based on their investigations, if they have found that there is some neglect or something where they would want to define it as some sort of abuse Mm -hmm. or charges should be laid against somebody, they have to prepare a file and more than likely they may have to send it to the DPP. It is for the DPP now to decide whether there are some charges of cruelty or some other charge that needs to be leveled, whether it's against the parents, the guardians or whoever they see fit. And that is how the matter will get the court's attention. But without a process like that, the court on its own can't look at a clipping and go, oh, Lord, that should not have happened. We need to make a ruling. Mm -hmm. An application must be before the court for the court to take that step. 
So then it will be on the child children's authority to make that application. Or the let's say certainly. Or let's say yeah, a relative of a child. Or the a relative of the child seeing that clip. Exactly. So it would be either for a relative to make a report or children's authority do have the power. They see something like that, they can take it upon themselves to begin investigations. All right. And what would be the best advice you would give to persons who are either thinking or going through a divorce case and want to reduce the traumatic experience for their children who are involved in these cases? What is the best advice you can give? The best advice I can give to parents when they are in custody battles is that a marriage may end. Parenting does not really end. Uh, it could be bitter. It could be something that you comfortably sit and talk. But at the end of the day, both parties will always be parents to children. It is better to consider the welfare of the, always the welfare of the child. If parents can come together and have reasonable conversations, then you don't necessarily have to like each other, you know, but you can parent together in harmony. It mm -hmm. saves you costs in that it's less fees to pay attorneys. It saves you time. You're not going to be occupied in the court for years. And at the end of the day, you save your relationship with your children. So your children are not sitting there thinking mommy's a monster or daddy's a monster or even thinking something is wrong with them. Mm -hmm. And you can go on to parent without even having to like the mother of your child or the father of your child, if that is the concern. You can go ahead and you can parent in harmony, message or speak to each other only concerning your child. If it is you have difficulties or family court system do have co-parenting options, you can exercise some co-parenting options and figure out what tools you need to parent your child properly. And only in cases where your child is being genuinely abused or you actually have evidence your child is being abused only then i would suggest you go forward with such extreme measures mm -hmm. because if you go forward with accusations of, of abuse when none exists you're only doing damage to your child and counseling um facilities can you recommend or uh give that information or i guess it would work in tandem with what you're doing not so Yes. Uh, like I said, if you're going through the family court, mm -hmm. there is counseling provided by the family court. There will be counseling for the child if necessary. There's counseling for parents. Um, so there is, through a public sector, there are means. And of course, the private sector, there are a number of companies, elders and associates, quite a few of them that do counseling. And some people, if they're lucky enough to have good health plans where they work, their health plans will facilitate family counseling or counseling for their children if necessary. All right. I would like to thank you so much, Ms. Ramhawax, for taking the time out to give us that information. And I, I guess in some cases, prepare a few for those who are listening and unfortunately have to venture into that option. I appreciate your time. Yep. You're welcome and thank you for having me. You're tuned into the all new Freedom 106.5. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all new talk radio, Freedom 106.5.